It's time I pushed aside all the crowds out my life and lean back into your arms to laugh like a child again throw my head back and then revel in all that you are to stroll through the meadow and pick dandelions to splash through the puddles that line this old road then lay underneath this vast blanket of stars reaching for your hand to hold to simply be still and know I want to love you with all that's within me to soar with my heart wild and free to leap into love deeper than any ocean and trust you're there waiting for me to ride on your shoulders and not fear tomorrow embrace with abandon the places we'll go to listen for whispers straight into my heart certain i'm never alone to simply be still and know to know you are god and to bask in to dance in your grace like the rain to know you are God and you're fighting for me oh and nothing will stand in your way so Just for the chance to meet you here again And oh, for the joy just to know The God of the heavens You formed me and made me You water the depths of my soul Would you Calling me back to this shore Oh, love that will not let me go To simply be still 
Well, good morning all again. There's always, there's, always a, there's always a touch of kind of melancholy sadness, you know, whenever you come to, when it's nearly time to go home again and to leave you all. Um, it touches our hearts to have to do that. And I just want to thank you for man and myself for all the kindness and care that you've Christian love that you've shown to us, you know, during our time that we have been here. Um, <clears throat> I was speaking to Dr. Rudy at the men's fellowship meal the other morning, and he said to me, he said to me, it's the, it's the, it's the church with the greatest Christian love that ever he has experienced, and, you know, that's, that's what we have found as well. Everyone has been so kind and loving. Uh, we, we, we appreciate it very much. In fact, I was telling some of the folks in the week that's passed about the first time that we came here and um, Jeff and Taylor <coughs> invited us, you know, down to their home uh, for, for some dinner and um, we said that would be very nice and we would be delighted to, to go. And, and Jeff said, we're going to have some sliders, you see. And uh, I, I, I said, oh, oh okay. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so <clears throat> uh, is it dinner, that you, dinner you want us for? And he said, yes, dinner with sliders. And I said, okay. And what, what Jeff didn't realize that in Ireland, a slider is an ice cream. <laughs> you see? So ice cream, ice cream for dinner. <laughs> but we, we survived. We survived. So, um, <clears throat> anyway, I trust the Lord will bless our little meditation this morning. Um, it's just one verse, actually, this morning that I, that I want to read, and it's in the Gospel by John. It's from the King James Version I'm going to read from. <clears throat> uh, it's in John chapter 19. And it's in verse 41, <clears throat> right down at the end of the chapter. John 19 and <clears throat> verse number 41. Now in the place... Where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulchre, wherein was never man yet led. <clears throat> I love the almost poetic language of John in his writings, and what a lovely, touching verse this is. Now in the place 
where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulchre, wherein was never man yet led. Could I, could I take just a, a moment or two just to <clears throat> go back to where we were the last time that we were together? We were pointing out some features of the <clears throat> village of Bethany that remind us of the features that we enjoy when we come together in church fellowship. And we never got that finished. I just wanted to take maybe just a couple of minutes just to, just to maybe round that off for you because... Um, we didn't manage to get that finished before we come to this lovely verse. We pointed out how Bethany was a village of simplicity. The lovely simplicity of village life is oft-times reflected in the simplicity of our church gatherings. And then we pointed out that it was a place of service, that everyone had a responsibility to serve, even if it was just as being a water boy that we were reminded of then. And then we were reminded too that it was a place of sorrow. Sometimes sorrow comes in because of the home call of loved ones that fall asleep. And sometimes in our church gatherings we find it a place of sorrow. So I just wanted to remind you that as well as those three things, Bethany was a place of divine teaching. It was a place of divine instruction. You remember how the Lord came into the home and uh, <clears throat> dear Mary sat at his feet. Martha served, but Mary sat at his feet and heard his word. And how lovely the privilege of Mary to sit at the Savior's feet and hear divine instruction. So that in our, <clears throat> in our gatherings, brothers and sisters, we, all mo- we always need to have a place for divine instruction and for the teaching of the Bible the teaching of the scriptures. Some churches have displaced the Bible and have put it into a secondary place. But the principle, uh, the principle and the, the importance of the scriptures in all our gatherings is so very, very important. And what I want you to do, if you, if you can remember in your quiet times and so on, I do feel that This church where we have been privileged, we're thankful to the Lord for ever guiding us here. Um, I have found that this place has been a place of of good teaching and good teachers. And what I would like you to do and encourage you to do is to pray for those dear brethren whom God has gifted to teach his precious word. They need to be prayed for that they might have long years to be preserved and to be a help and to be an encouragement to us that the Lord might preserve them and help them and encourage them in the gift that God has given to them. You know, unless you stand up here, you'll never know the burden that it is to have a message from the Lord. I'm going to tell you this, you don't sleep very well the night before. In fact, you mightn't sleep very well the week before. You know, you're just wondering, is this the Lord's message? Uh, Is this what he would have me to speak upon? And you wake in the middle of the night and it's gone over in your head and in your mind. You need to pray for these beloved brethren that the Lord will help them and encourage them in their ministry. You know, we have a a man in our church at home. um, he's, he's, He's called Harry. And Harry's almost 90. He's beginning to get frail but his mind is as clear as a bell. 
And every time Harry, every time Harry stands up with the scriptures to minister to us, it's just a joy and an encouragement to all our hearts. And you know, Anna and I pray every night for that man. Do you know what we pray? We pray, Lord, that you would preserve Harry for many years to come. Grant that his life might be prolonged. Grant that his ministry might be strengthened. And grant that we might enjoy his ministry for years that are yet to come. So the place of, the place of divine instruction and the place of divine teaching is what should uh, pertain in our church gatherings. And then lastly, I didn't want to prolong this, but you know, just to, to mention these things to you, not only was it a place of divine teaching, but it was a place where the Lord was welcomed in. The Lord was welcomed in. We, we read those two weeks ago how that a woman called Martha received him into her house. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we should always make it a priority that in all our gatherings, the Lord is welcomed in. What a privilege it is when he is here, where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. We love to see our brothers. We love to see our sisters. We love to see each other. But the difference is when the Lord is here and when the Lord is welcomed in. We welcomed him in on Salvation's Day into our hearts individually. What a blessed day that was. But we need to welcome him into all of our gatherings. You might be saying to me, well, sure, all places welcome him in. But do they? You know, we have a, a friend at home who went to preach in a certain place. And he was exercised. The Lord had given him a little message about he wanted to speak about the precious blood of Christ. Not often you hear anybody speaking about the blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ that cleanses from all sin. And he thought that he would like to get their hymn book and, and get a hymn that spoke about the blood of Christ. And he looked through, he was looking for, I don't know if you know that hymn, we sing it often at home. It says, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And he looked for that hymn in the hymn book and he couldn't find it. And so afterwards he said to one of the, the men, one of the brothers, he said to them, he said, I couldn't find that familiar hymn. And he said to him, he said to him, we have taken all those hymns of the blood and taken them out of our hymn book. We don't sing about those things anymore. So everybody doesn't always receive them in. Sometimes there are barriers. They want bits, but not at all. But we believe in the precious blood of Christ that cleanses from all sin and from all stain. If it wasn't for the precious blood, none of us would be here this morning. Our brother reminded us this morning, it's not what we, the way we live or it's not what we are in ourselves. It's because of Calvary and the cross and the precious blood that was shed on Calvary's tree. So isn't it precious when the Lord is welcomed in? There was a dear brother from Scotland <clears throat> who came to our church from time to time. Um, <clears throat> 
he, he, he was a lovely, he wasn't full time in the Lord's service, but he was a lovely minister of the word of God. He, every time, I heard, him pre, I heard him repeating sermons, and it was just as good the second or third time as it was the first time. He was that kind of enthusiastic wee man that, you know, he just really was so lovely to listen to. And he told me this story that, I thought about just illustrating this point with for a moment. So this is not a carriage story. He told me this himself. He said that in his church in Scotland, one of the elders had taken ill and was unable to be out at the meetings and miss the fellowship and miss the breaking of bread. And so he said one Sunday morning, on the way home from the breaking of bread, he said, I decided I'll call in and I'll see just how he's getting on. And so he called in, and the brother said to him, Robert, what was his name? Robert Price from Scotland. He said, Robert, how was the meeting this morning? And Robert says, I said to him, Ah, brother, it was mediocre. It was mediocre. And the brother said to him, Was the Lord not there? Was the Lord not there? And Robert said, after a minute or two, he said, well, yes, I suppose the Lord was there. He said to him, Robert, if the Lord was there, never call it mediocre. Amen. The privilege, the privilege of meeting with himself and inviting him into our gatherings and uh, we've invited him into our hearts. We've invited him into our homes. We want to invite him into all our gatherings so that he might have the preeminence and he might have that, that unique place in all of our gatherings. So maybe sometimes when you think the preacher wasn't great, maybe sometimes when you think things were a wee bit flat, remember that the Lord was here and never call it mediocre. So that kind of was what I wanted to finish off with just for a few minutes in relation to um, <clears throat> the village of Bethany. Now to come to our little text this morning, I've just selected, it's just a light lunch here because only one verse this morning, not, nothing too heavy, uh, just one verse. <clears throat> and how lovely, how lovely a verse this is. When I think of this verse, I think of three things. And I want to speak about these three things to you just for the little time that remains. When I think of the first bit of this verse, now in the place where he was crucified, I think about a tree. I think about a tree. In the middle part of the verse where it says there was a garden, I think about a garden. And in the latter end of the verse, now in the garden, a new sepulcher. I think about a grave, a grave. So I want to speak to you for a minute or two about a, a tree and a garden and a grave. It's always been interesting to me that, you know, sometimes when we, we, we emphasized it this morning in our breaking of bread service earlier on, that often when we think about Calvary, we think about the cross. And I love the cross. And I certainly will, <clears throat> there's a little message in the back of my mind somewhere for some time in the future that would like to speak about the cross. But it's always been interesting to me that the instrument that the Lord was crucified on, 
is occasionally in the Bible referred to as a tree. And I've often wondered about that. You, if you read in the book of the Acts in chapter 13, uh, Luke there, the, the writer says, they, they took him down from the tree, from the tree, and led him in the sepulcher. So Luke speaks about a tree. And when you come to that well-known verse in 1 Peter, 1, uh, 1 Peter 2, 24, Peter says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. So there are, there are at least two writers in the Bible that speak about the, play, the instrument of his crucifixion as being a tree. And that has often interested me as to why. As to why that they should be referred to as a tree rather than the cross. You know, many hymns, many hymns speak about the tree. You may have noticed that I love hymns by, by the way. I think I take it from my father. My father loved hymns. And my father was, was a, a lovely singer as well. He used to sing in the house and sing in the church. And he was a lovely singer. I've always an interest in hymns. And I'm glad that so many hymns speak about the tree. And you know, it was a, an Irish man that, that, uh, called Grattan Guinness. You may recognize that name. Grattan Guinness. You might recognize the surname. He was off that, he was off that uh, family in Dublin. He was off that uh, same family that uh, produced the beer called Guinness or Lager or whatever it is. Um, he was off that same family, but Grattan Guinness was, was marvelously saved out of that family, left behind that kind of life and that kind of product. And he wrote a lovely hymn. I don't know if it's in that. I meant to look this morning and then we were distracted, but Cretton Guinness wrote this hymn, Crowned with thorns, crowned with thorns upon the tree, silent in thine agony, dying, crushed beneath the load of the wrath and curse of God. Crowned with thorns upon the tree, and I have come to kind of make up, you know, sometimes we read books and we're, we're guided by others, but I've just come to appreciate that the reason why these two writers referred to it as a tree, and this is a very simple suggestion to you, but I think it's very appropriate because I want to remind you that it was at the tree that man first went astray. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. And the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And Eve took of the fruit she gave to her husband Adam and he partook as well. And they took of the tree and they went astray from God at the tree. Now isn't that lovely? Isn't that lovely? that if men went astray from God at the tree, it's at the tree that we can get back in fellowship with God. Amen. I love the tree. I love to think about the tree. The tree where Jesus bled and died and where our debt was paid by the precious blood that flowed from his wounded side. You know, I was thinking this week about Another man that hung upon a tree in the Bible. You've probably all heard of 
of Absalom, David's son, in rebellion, and he's riding along on the donkey, and he's long hair, and there's a great oak tree. And as David rides along, as, as Absalom rides, rides along, his, hair, his long hair catches in the hanging branches of the great oak tree. And Absalom is hanging on a tree. Why was he hanging on a tree? Because of rebellion. Because he rebelled against his father and against the ways and against the designs of God. Hanging on a tree because of rebellion. But the Savior, brothers and sisters, hung on a tree because of obedience and because of love. Because of love. For the likes of you and me, he hung on a tree and shed his precious blood. You know, if you read that story about Absalom, Absalom was pierced. Old Job came along. And Job was a man of war, with war always in his heart. And Job had three darts. And he took those three darts and he pierced the heart of Absalom as he hung upon a tree. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind us this morning, the Savior was pierced as he hung on that tree. He was pierced in the hands, pierced in the feet, and pierced in his wounded side. His hands were pierced, the hands that made the mountain glade and ever the mountain side and ever glade. His feet were pierced. His side was pierced for you and me. We're thankful this morning for the one who hung upon Calvary's tree. Pierced and bleeding. Who is he? Hands and feet so rudely torn. Wreathed with crown of twisted thorn. Son of God, tis he, tis he. On the cross at Calvary. We're thankful that he hung on the tree for you and for me. So I look at the first part of that verse. And I think about a tree. I look at the middle part of the verse and I think about a garden. A garden. In the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. Now, probably about a year or maybe more ago, I spoke to you about the gardens of the Bible. There are four gardens that I want to remind you of. Um, There is Eden's garden that we spoke about. What a garden that was. A garden of fruitfulness, and a garden of flowers, a garden of fragrance, a garden of fellowship. What a garden. Not, not, not like our garden at home. <laughs> not like our garden. What a garden it was. A garden of fruitfulness. And then there was Gethsemane's garden that we spoke about. Gethsemane's garden. What a garden that was. Where the Lord anticipated the, the, the tree. And when he thought about his sufferings upon the tree, and the Bible says he sweat as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You know, I heard a well-meaning, I heard a well-meaning speaker saying about the garden of Gethsemane. He said, every Christian has their Gethsemane experience. I want to tell you that's not correct. 
I want to tell you that doesn't stand up, I believe, to the truth of the Bible. Because there was something that was unique and something that was different about the experience of Christ in the garden that no other human has ever known. Absolutely unique and absolutely different was the experience of the Lord Jesus in the garden. Mind you, there was no sin atoned for in the garden. Never think that the Lord Jesus atoned for sin in the garden. The atonement for sin was all upon the tree. Those, don't, don't divide it into, don't say three hours, dear brothers. It was six hours upon the tree that the Lord Jesus atoned for sin. But in the garden, he anticipated the sufferings that he would endure. And if, those, if the intensity of those sufferings was so severe, I often wonder what his distress must have been upon the tree as he entered into the sin question and paid the price that we might be eternally free. So there was Eden's garden and there was Gethsemane's garden. And then you remember we spoke about the garden of God. The garden of God in Revelation chapter 2 Sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes in the Bible, heaven is spoken about as a home, as a house, in my Father's house. Sometimes it's spoken about as a city, a city four square. But in Revelation 2, it's spoken about as a garden, the garden of God. What a lovely garden that's going to be for all eternity to enjoy, to enjoy the garden of God. I think it's a lovely name for heaven, the garden of God. And some of our loved ones today are in that garden. Some of, the loved, some of our loved ones are enjoying the sweetness and joy and peace of that lovely garden. And we're all going to meet them by and by. The garden of God in Revelation chapter 2. But the garden that we have read about here is Joseph's garden. Joseph's garden. And that's the, the, <clears throat> the garden that we read about here. You know, I wonder why Joseph had this garden. Joseph was from, from Arimathea, and yet this garden was in Jerusalem. Why did he have a garden in Jerusalem if he come from Arimathea, which was maybe as much as 10, 15 miles away, depending on who you read. But obviously there was a distance between where he was from and this garden that he had in Jerusalem. Well, I think he bought this garden. <laughs> I, I, I could never prove that, but you know, I often wonder, did he buy the garden? Just as a place to rest and a place of refreshment and a place where he might relax at the end of the day in this garden. But you know, if he did buy it, brothers and sisters, you know what I hope? I hope he got it cheaply. Because I'll tell you why. It was a rocky garden. <laughs> it was a rocky garden. <laughs> Maybe it looked all right on the surface. But one day he began to hew out a tomb. And he found it was a rocky garden. I hope he got it cheap. I hope he didn't overpay for that rocky garden. And he begins to dig this. Uh, Matthew tells us he dug it himself. He said he dug out the garden out of the rock. He hewed out of that rock that he might make a rocky grave. And he digs and he digs. And you know, over the years, 
over the years I have heard, I have heard dear Joseph being criticized by preachers because the Bible speaks of him as being a secret disciple. And they say, oh, we should have taken a stand and he should have done this and he should have done that and he shouldn't have been a secret disciple and all the rest. I want to, I want to give you another wee sight on what I, why I think that I don't want you to be as hard on Nicodemus or on, on Joseph as some people have been. He's digging out this garden out of solid, uh, he's digging out this, gra- this, 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 this tomb out of solid rock And he's not telling anybody what he's doing. He's not letting on that this is a grave that's prepared for the body of the Lord Jesus. And he's doing it secretly for fear of the Jews in case his work is going to be interrupted. In case they put a stop to his work. In case they make opposition to his work. He does it secretly for fear of the Jews. Never be too hard on Joseph for being a secret disciple because he did his work privately and quietly and secretly in order that he might never, ever be interrupted. Joseph's garden. But I want to speak about the grave. You know, there's something about the gra- a, grave, a grave side that touches all our hearts. One of my colleagues at home was murdered. He was walking up the street one day in Belfast and a gunman came up, put a gun to the back of his head, shot him down like a dog. He wasn't a religious person as far as I knew, but I was privileged to go to his funeral service. It was an old Methodist church. And as they were sitting waiting for the the service to take place, I lifted the hymn book, an old Methodist hymnal, and I was flicking through it. There were hymns I'd never seen before. And there's a line in that one of those hymns that has lived with me from that day until the present. And this is what was in that old Methodist hymnal. Father, we thank thee for the love that gave thy son to fill a human grave. We thank thee for the love that gave thy son to fill a human grave. Touched my heart in that old Methodist church that day that the Lord Jesus would not only die on Calvary's tree but allow himself to be laid in a grave on account of me and my sin. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it wonderful? Amazing love! How can it be that thou my God shouldst die for me? He lay in a grave. One day he went to a grave himself You all know how that in John, he goes to the grave at Bethany of Lazarus. And that day as the Lord Jesus went to the grave, 
Tears ran down his kingly countenance. Tears filled his eyes. Tears coursed down his cheeks. And the people looked on and said, Behold how he loved him. The Lord Jesus knew the tenderness and sensitiveness of standing at the grave. There's something about gravesides. In heaven, heaven I think watched that day as two men took the Lord Jesus down from the cross. The Scottish poet said, gently they take him down. Unfix his hands and feet. Take from his head the thorny crown. Bring forth a winding sheet. Sometimes I think it was a poor carpenter that wrapped him in his birth. But it was a rich counselor that wrapped him in his death. A touching scene of the grave of the Lord Jesus. I want to tell you about a grave. Her name was Tilly Boyd. Mrs. Tilly Boyd. Mrs. Tilly Boyd was a poor widow. You know, I was thinking this week, these are the kind of wee thoughts when you have when you can't sleep at night. You remember that when Buzz, Buzz Aldrin in Apollo 11 went to the moon? And you remember how that he read from Psalm number 8? When I see the heavens, the work of thy fingers, and the moon and the stars which thou hast made, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Buzz Aldrin, I believe, was a Christian man. You know, when, 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 when the psalmist David, the shepherd boy, wrote Psalm 8, he never ever thought that someone would be talking about it on the moon. Out in the fields of Jerusalem, and he's writing about the heavens that come from the handiwork of God. Never for a moment did he think that someone would talk about it on the moon. Elvis Presley never got mentioned. None of the big stars ever got mentioned. But David the shepherd boy did. And I was just thinking about that. I was thinking to myself, Tilly Boyd, Tilly never knew that she would ever get a wee mansion away in California in the United States of America. She was a lady, just a poor lady. She was a crippled lady. I remember the night that she got baptized. Some of the brothers pushed her up to the front to the baptismal tank. And two dear brothers lifted her out of that chair and baptized her in the waters in our little church at home. She took ill some time later and I went down to see her in the hospital and I said to her, um, 
Any word of you getting home, Tilly? And she said, my next move is up there. My next move is up there. That's, that's the home I'm going to. And sure enough, in a few days, the Lord called her home. And she had requested that I would have a little word in her funeral service. And I spoke at the graveside. And, you know, some months passed. And you know the way when you're at a graveside and you're at a service, um, you kind of miss a wee, you know, you kind of miss maybe the, you know, what your, the feelings of it. You want to you wanna think about it again. And after a couple of months passed, I thought to myself, I should get back and spend a little time at the grave. And so I made my way to the grave. And you know, brothers and sisters, I couldn't find that grave. There was flowers here and flowers there. And, you know, the family were poor. They could never afford a headstone or anything like that. There would never be, but just be an unmarked grave. Because they didn't have any money for that. And I looked and I searched and I couldn't find that grave. Do you know what I thought that day? One day the Lord Jesus lay in an unmarked grave for me. One day he was laid in the tomb. Three days and three nights he lay in the silence of the tomb. Do you know that hymn? Wrapped in the silence of the tomb. The great Redeemer lay till the revolving skies had brought the third, the appointed day. And though he lay in an unmarked grave, on the third day he rose again. We believe it with all our hearts. Death could not hold its prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. And up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever with the saints to reign. Hallelujah. Christ arose. But I'm going to tell you this. God has marked that grave. God knows exactly where Tilly Boyd is buried. And then the resurrection morn, when the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and the glory of his resurrection share, and the saints of earth shall gather to their home beyond the skies. Praise the Lord, Tilly Boyd will be there. And thank God all who are saved will all be there. No more partings. No more goodbyes. No more sorrows, no more sadness. Behind, of, behind us all of sorrow and naught but joy before. The beauty of the Savior shall dazzle every eye in the crowning day that's coming by and by. Remember the simplicity of it. A tree and a garden and a grave. May the Lord bless his word to all our hearts. <clears throat> Shall we just pray together? Father, we are so thankful that you haven't left us ourselves just to make our own way home to heaven. You've given us lovely Christian friends. 
You've given us the fellowship of the church and one another. We're thankful for this church and for its elders and for its teachers and for its deacons and for its members. And we pray your blessing upon every one of them. Oh, help us all to live in view of his soon return. He's gone away, but not to stay. He's coming back again someday. Help us, Lord, that we might live in the good of his soon return, that we might be an influence for God in the area where we live, whether it be here or back in Ireland. Grant, Lord, that you'll take these little lives of ours and make them something for yourself. You've given everything for us. Grant, Lord, that we might give you something back in return. So we ask a blessing upon our simple meditations this morning and commit ourselves all now to the Lord in prayer as we make our way home. Give thanks for all these things in his precious and worthy name. Amen. <clears throat>